You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. In brightest day and in blackest night, there's one place you can go. That's right, back to the 602 Club, your local watering hole for all things geeky. And I am just one of your hosts here, holding the lantern of truth and justice in the American way and green, Matthew Rushing. And with me, as she is every single week, Christy Morris. A.K.A. Sinestro, please. Oh, going, going, going villain tonight. I love it. Oh, yeah. I'm always the dark one. Mm, Yes. And with us to uh, round things out, our own Guy Gardner, John Mills. Uh, You know, I'm I'm almost afraid to play this game and figure out who I am in the Green Lantern uh, (laughs) That's what I just said. You're Guy Gardner. You think so? I I feel like you could be a bruiser. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. I mean, you're not you know, Kyle Rahner. I mean, he. Well, you are kind of artistic. Let's, so let's be honest. I'm Parallax. That's, that's who I am. true. That's, <laughs> that's true. who I am. If Christy Sinestro, your you're fear. Parallax. Mm, <laughs> there you go. Wow. Uh, this is going to get dark uh, because, well, apparently, I need the willpower of Hal Jordan tonight. Um, between you two, but we are going to be diving into none other than the infamous, the infamous, which means it's. So famous, it's infamous. That's right. If you get that joke, congratulations on you. Uh, We're talking about Green Lantern, but we're going to be talking about the extended edition with nine extra minutes. That's right. We went all in, folks, to this. We're so excited. Before, you know, we dive into the show, though, just a reminder, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You know, you've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anywhere podcasts can be had, you can find the 602 Club. Make sure you're subscribed there so you get the show as soon as it drops with amazing content like this where we're talking about Green Lantern. Um, You know, you hit us up with a star rating review over on the Apple Podcast to help the show continue to grow. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. You can also find us online at track.fm where you can see all the shows we're doing and of course there's a contact section where you can send christy and i an email uh and then there's the babel conference which is our listeners only discussion group where you can talk to listeners from all over the world about what we're doing here on track fm but i wanted to start here it's not in the outline but i'm really interested because this is such kind of an infamous movie was this a movie you guys saw in the theater in the first place no Mm-mm. Nope. Skip this one. Man, man. Yeah. Well, I'm the only one. I can't. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. It wasn't. I, this so is that's one of those why ones I failed at the box office because one in yes. three saw it in the theaters. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't remember it, why I didn't. Is the weird thing because my yeah, husband did. Right. It, it wasn't like a conscious choice. It has to be. Well. Uh. Wait. What year was this again? Two thousand. Twenty eleven. Yeah. Twenty eleven. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah, things were things were a little like bleh back then. So like it, it, that's right around that is right around the period where my film going 
like in the theater just like completely died out for a time because uh, we, we had two young kids. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, do you want to go to the movie theater? No, not really. I'd rather just, you know, sit down, just relax <laughs> for a little bit. I'm so, tired. Yeah. Yeah. I was very tired. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. Dri- driving 15 minutes to a movie theater to go take a chance on a movie and then drive back was like, that's an awfully big investment. So, and you couldn't even really do it in your pajamas. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was, um, yeah. that was a really, really tough year for me because I was not only trying to finish my senior year of college, uh, I was planning a wedding at the same time. That'll do it. That's pretty busy. And I got really sick. That is pretty busy. So I, I was a little busy. Well, I was the only one of us with no life at that point, <laughs> and uh, I was at the movies a lot, and I went and saw Green Lantern, and, you know, honestly, I was excited about it because, you know, we had been getting the Dark Knight trilogy, and so, like, hey, this looks good, looks fun, you know, I mean, I, the trailers looked good, too, um, you know, had gotten good word of mouth at, like, Comic-Con when they had showed, like, 11 minutes or something of it, so, yeah, I mean... I, you know, I didn't think it could go wrong at that point, especially after the success that D- D- Warner Brothers had been having with the Dark Knight trilogy. So, had you read any of the Green Lantern comics, Matt? You know, I hadn't then. Um, I've read a ton of Green Lantern now. Uh, okay. You know, I've read his uh, his Rebirth. I've read um, a bunch of the Blackest Night. I've read the whole Blackest Night series, uh, and. I read the entire run of New 52, uh, and I read a bunch of the Rebirth stuff that they did as well. Um, and, in fact, honestly, the the I, I stopped reading when we got to... Um, lately, Grant Morrison has been writing it, and I have not... I did not enjoy his... I was not enjoying his take on Green Lantern. But I enjoy the character. I think it's a lot of fun, you know, and, and the best thing about the Green Lantern Corps, especially with his rebirth was that they brought the entire spectrum of characters out, you know, um, that it's not just willpower, but you know, you've got all the other power rings as well in that now. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but no, I love the character. I, I just wasn't as familiar with him then as I actually am now. So it was actually interesting to go back to this and rewatch it for the first time since it came out in the theater, uh, and, and get there. So, um, have uh, Christy? I know you do comics, and John, I know you know you've read some comics. Was was Green Lantern ever in your uh you know um, pull list? Yeah, I, I actually um after my husband and I got married, then he had introduced me to the Green Lantern comics. So after the movie had come out, and I still hadn't seen it, um, and uh, I believe it was the New Fifty Two where I got started, but I did read some of Blackest Night as well. So I'm familiar. But I haven't like read everything or even remember a ton other than, you know, main character stuff. Yeah, I um the majority of like my comic book reading when I was younger was actually me stealing stuff out of my brother's collection. So Green Lantern was in there because he he liked a wide variety of titles. I, my my own preferences were more towards um, X-Men hmm. uh, and Transformers comics, which were re- actually really good. G.I. Joe and the Nom and stuff like that. But Green Lantern was in the mix, you know, because Green Lantern knew Batman, and so inevitably they would cross paths, um, and you know, and, and those sorts of things. But uh, he was—he's always been a character that I've been interested in, but not one that I was specifically drawn to. So I, 
vague familiarity with the lore and stuff like that, but not no deep dive stuff for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 so interesting too because, you know, um what's what's fascinating to me is like a, a lot of the Green Lantern lore that we kind of think of as being established now was stuff that really kind of got established once they brought him back from the dead. Uh, you know, after his, his whole thing with parallax and kind of going insane and they they added so much stuff that is foundational now to the character uh in his rebirth. So uh, which you know is it's really cool, and he, and it's a fascinating character. Um, and obviously there's more than one Green Lantern. There's a there's a few different Green Lanterns, which is really cool as well, because you know a lot of people picked up, especially with Hal Jordan being gone, they liked the other characters they had, like John Stewart, or we were talking about the other was like Guy Gardner and stuff like that. So. Um, there's just so many things you can do with these with these characters being basically the the intergalactic cops, uh, and so uh, I I thought it was really fascinating just this kind of idea. I was making fun of you know brightest day, blackest night, um, but it was fascinating to me that you know this is a movie where you know the Dark Knight trilogy is about to wrap up in 2012, and so you know Warner Brothers is looking to where they want to go next. You know. Uh, Nolan's trilogy is a closed trilogy. It's not going to connect with anything else. And so they decide they want to go with Green Lantern. And this is something, you know, they had in development since 97. Um, They actually asked Kevin Smith to write the movie. And he said no, um, which I think that might have been a favor to the world. So, (laughs) um, and uh, they had an idea for doing it basically being a comedy where Jack Black would have been the lead, I think that's a mistake oh. too. But but see but see the thing is Warner Brothers. It's so interesting. Warner Brothers has a history of repeating itself. You know, history repeats all of that stuff. But you know, the, the Superman series had a light heart to it uh, when it starts in seventy eight. You know, you know, had verisimilitude, but it had a light heart to it, and that devolves into self parody by the end. Batman sure. was in development as a comedy. Bill Murray was actually considered to play Batman at one point. It was going to be a spoof because, you know, the 66 TV series. Mm, yeah. So I was like, oh, yep. you know, we're just going to do something like that. And, and fortunately, a better script comes up and cooler heads prevail sort of thing. Um, so it makes perfect sense that they would have come into this and said, oh, yeah, no, let's let's do a comedy with like Jack Black. Like that makes it. it it's fascinating to me because these uh, movie studio boards turnover so frequently but then they all make the same mistakes mm-hmm. it's like what was the point of replacing the old management if you guys just keep screwing up in the same ways like whoever said oh let's make a comedy with jack black simply uttering that sentence they should have just been picked up by the scruff of the suit and just like thrown down the hallway and been like out you're done fired N- anybody ever says anything like that again you're gone so i you know i, I and but also to, to think that Nolan's whole success is rooting it in the real world, putting it in a, a way that the fans can relate to it. Why on earth would you say, well, that's that formula is working really well for us. So we're just going to go 180 degrees in the other direction like that doesn't make sense. I, I don't know why people get possessed of those those sorts of urges. Sorry for the rant, but it's just sort of like, I don't no, know. Why no, I think making the same mistakes. I think you're absolutely right because it, it seems strange to me that you would be thinking about and and part of this is that you know this is a long development process from 97 all the way but it's like 
you know, like you mentioned, their most successful Batman films had been up to, I guess, I mean, because Batman Robin is just a joke. It becomes a joke pretty quickly, you know, but Batman Forever was relatively successful in the theaters. So, uh, it, well, uh, technically, so was Batman and Robin. It was critical and fan it, response that killed. It's that. true. It's true. Um, but it quickly becomes a a joke, I think, for uh, fandom very quickly. Uh, and so it seems strange that you know you would think about going this way. Um, and it's really not until uh, 2007 where they decide that they they hire Greg Berlanti, and that name's going to sound familiar to a lot of, of fans out there because he's the one responsible for all the DC TV shows uh, that are on right now, starting with Arrow all the way to, you know, everything that they brought out so far, um, you know, and uh, his his writing partner, um, and you had Michael Green and Mark Guggenheim, uh, who's also uh, involved with the DC TV. Um, not then, obviously, but, you know, uh, later on. And so... Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they're going to do basically, uh, an origin story. They're going to give you, you know, how Jordan, and they're going to bring in your classic characters, the Carol Ferris and Kilowog and all that stuff. Um, Guy Gardner was going to make an appearance and, um, so, but what's fascinating to me is that, you know, Berlanti actually gets fired as writer and director and he doesn't even finish working on the film. They bring in Martin Campbell to direct, who had, you know, had a huge success with his James Bond relaunches with GoldenEye and, by that point, uh, Casino Royale. Plus, I mean, he did The Mask of Zorro, which was hugely popular. So, mm-hmm. you bring in a guy like that. Um, but then, you, you read about my, Ryan Reynolds talking about, you know, he was promoting Deadpool. He said with Green Lantern, it really came down to, like, you, you it feels like it's going to be a visionary movie. But then it's a studio story, the classic studio story, where you get a poster, but we don't have a script. Let's start shooting. So it feels like this movie was kind of, you know, back and forth, uh, and and that they didn't quite have everything they wanted together um, by the time they start filming, because they I know they have to come back and do reshoots and everything. So it, it's it really does seem like kind of a mixed bag, even behind the scenes. Um, and then of course. The movie's released, and I mean, it bombs at the box office. Um, but we're here tonight to to decide whether or not it deserves that reputation. Um, and that's all a part because John Mills wrote a blog about this and got me <laughs> thinking about we needed to revisit this film. And so, sorry, I, I no, no, I think this is great. This is exactly what this show does. We're going to give it the critical eye and see if if it if it actually does hold up. So. I wanted to ask you guys, because we talked about, you know, Green Lantern isn't something that everybody's super familiar with, you know. Um, he's definitely uh, a comic book fan's favorite. Um, and uh, But I wanted to ask you, how does this movie then do as an introduction to a character that people don't know like Batman and Superman? How do you feel like this movie handles that? For me, I feel like they didn't, quite give you enough on Hal as a character. Um, they give you some basis for um, what kind of person he is and obviously the trauma that his family's been through. But I really think that they jump more directly into the action they want for Hal and speeding it along 
rather than spending a lot of time making you really care for him as a character. That's how I feel. I agree. I, I think that they're the, the core issue uh, with this movie uh, that keeps it from being a great film is the fact that it feels structured like a TV pilot. It, mm-hmm. it feels like we have to build the world. And so it's okay if we don't focus on the character because we'll get to that in the next episode. Right. What's important is that we establish the world that he's in and we build those sorts of things. And I think that if it has one big flaw, it's that it's that it allows itself to lose its focus from the main character and focus more on what's going on in the world. So in a sense, Hal does not feel as important as he should in his own story by about halfway through the movie. He's important. He's my, he's my guide through this world, but I don't feel, I'm not given an opportunity to feel that emotional connection to him that I very much want because Ryan Reynolds is a very charismatic uh, on-screen presence and the supporting cast around him is really good. And it, it just, it feels like there's just, we're like one draft away from what this movie should be before they start shooting. Yeah. And, and that actually reminds me too, there's parts where the main character is not even on screen. Right. And so then that right. makes me go, that, yeah, wait, <laughs> whose movie is this? This right. is Sinestro. <laughs> Right. And well, and I and I think that that is one of the things, too, where I think this is the great debate between the extended cut and the theatrical cut is the extended cut seems to try to address that by reinserting that prologue scene with his dad so that we can know him as a child and it it's a way just to get even though he's a younger version of himself the main character on screen that much more quickly as well as you know give him more screen time if not ryan reynolds and at least the character has more screen time uh overall yeah it was interesting because i haven't seen the theatrical cut since it came out but watching this one i did feel like there's more of a connection with the character because we do spend more time with him as a child. In many ways, the way Batman Begins spends, you know, a good chunk of time with Bruce as being a younger child. You know, we, we really dive into who he is, who his parents is, the world that Bruce lives in as a child to really build up that whole momentous occasion when he loses his parents. And this really, I think, tries to mimic that in some ways where we're, we're, going about telling the story of how Hal is supremely affected by the loss of his father, who is doing a good job of raising his son, and yet by him not being able to complete the job and nobody kind of picking up that mantle really well, you get um, Hal being stuck in arrested development. You know, he's never truly able to finish that development of what it means to become a man, which is, you know, his father told him that, you know, being scared is, 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 um, it's his job not to be. But his father never gets to elaborate on what that means. And so to me, like, I was really connecting with the fact that at least, you know, this extended cut, we're getting more of that time. So it informs who that character is when we see him when Ryan Reynolds shows up and he's kind of being classic. What we all know of is Ryan Reynolds, you know, very irreverent and, 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 you know, always making the joke, but 
it it came across more of um that that's a that's a reflex to keep people at arm's length on purpose rather than just Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. So to me, this all works a little bit better than I remember it working when I saw the theatrical cut back in the day, which is fantastic. I I still think, you know, you guys are nailing in the head. I looked uh, and, you know, Batman Begins is at two hours and 20 minutes. You know, this, this movie, even with the extra nine minutes, it's like, I think... 214 mm-hmm. so you know uh an extra six minutes or something to make this movie like that length or maybe two hours and 30 minutes like allow there to be some more of that time where we really spend time with this character and i think you can you can ameliorate a lot of the problems you guys just mentioned by giving us 10 more minutes of screen mm-hmm. time where we're following uh this character kind of because, I mean, Hal's basically, what, Maverick from... I mean, really, that's who he is. That's who they're playing him is. They're, he's Maverick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, you know, that whole movie is spent with, you know, Maverick, you know, being the hot shot and then failing when his best friend dies and, like, having that a big emotional push. Like, this kind of... You just needed to, to allow that to breathe a little bit more, and I think you have an even stronger movie but I'd got to say so far for me, extended cut, you know, plus one, you know, in the sense that it's like it's at least making some of these issues better. Yeah, I, I mean, having seen the theatrical very recently and then watching the, uh, the you know, the extended, I can go either way. I actually wind up this is this is I know going to sound weird because I talk about how, you know, it at least gives how more screen time. I think that I still wind up preferring the theatrical cut because of the fact that I think that the it feels like two prologues sandwiched in in front in the beginning mm-hmm. there. I I think that the better impulse is to get to Hal quicker and then extend his time because having the kid as a flashback, I didn't need every bit that they gave in you know the 1993 prologue mainly because those key moments I got in the flashbacks while he's going, you know, while, while he's plummeting to certain doom uh, after the dog fight. Um, I don't think that it detracts anything from the movie to have it in there, but I think it's, it's sort of a wash uh, sort of thing. I think that what they really, you know, to speak to the, the point about like even just six more minutes, I think just one or two more emotional conversations you know, b- between him and and Blake Lively, or even him and the you know um, her dad, who knew his dad, you know, having having a, a more emotional, quiet moment when all we really get is the chew him out scene after the dog fight sort of thing. Like I know that it's somewhat cliched to have it in a movie, but then to have a quieter moment where he we actually see him despondent realizing he's screwed things up and having that introspective moment. And then somebody sidle up to him at the bar and say, listen, I get it. You know, like uh, it would be like Star Trek 09, very pivotal when Pike sits down next to Kirk and is like, look, you got potential and you got to just get your act together like that. Just a scene like that. Yeah. That makes a big difference in the movie. Yeah. Well, and I think what's fascinating is, is that 
you know, this this is in many ways that same type of story because Hal Jordan is that kind of Chris Pine Kirk character. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he's the rebel without a cause in many ways because he doesn't have that male role model to really show him what true manhood looks like. And Hal doesn't get that till, you know, later in the movie, you know. Um, so there isn't anybody on Earth to come to him other than Carol, which it's, you know, it's there's that messiness of the fact that they have this relationship that is more than just friends. It's that male female dynamic that doesn't quite work to give how that, that male companionship he needs to get him over that hump and to really show him what he's missing. So I agree with you, John, if you had had that, if you'd had a character, maybe even Carol's dad to be the one. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that would have been really interesting, but you know, then you also run into that, Hal needs to learn that lesson actually later in the movie, not at this exact moment, because he needs to get the ring and still basically fail, you know, uh, until he realizes, you know, what courage really means. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I I know I, I, and I I would say too, trying to introduce the Green Lantern Corps to people who don't know the Green Lantern Corps, it is so dense, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I think they do as good a job as possible with that, you know, um, to try and give you uh, the bits and pieces that you need to make this make sense. But it's I, I don't envy them the position that they're in in this introduction because it is hard to explain the Green Lantern Corps succinctly, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and you're looking at something where you're you're going right into it with explaining parallax and right. the green and yellow energy and all of this stuff. And it, it gets bogged down by its own mythos basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it would have worked a lot better. I think there's maybe a little bit of Batman envy going on in terms of the league of shadow. They pulled off introducing the league of shadows and they got that to work. But the difference is the league of shadows was integral to the story itself as opposed to being an external force. Uh, add to what was going on and i think it would have i think this works better if they have a smaller build and then at the end they because maybe they've alluded to it earlier in the movie that once you're ready you'll understand the full power of everything that you're getting into and then you know he shows up and it's like five lanterns show up and they're like we've got you and you know hey here and we go back let's heal up and then he sees how big the core really is and they say see you're part of something much larger and that's a big reveal moment as opposed to, wait, who are the people with the big blue heads sitting on the thrones in the red talking to this guy who's got the, you know, like it, there's a lot going on there that's mm-hmm. yeah very comic booky in a very fun way, in a very entertaining way, but not in a very, it, it's so much, it's impossible to establish that deep connection you want. Uh, to any of the elements. Yeah, so. it, I think you said exactly what I was thinking because I, I was listening to you say it and then going, oh my gosh, that's what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> it it feels too much um, of explaining at the beginning, whereas most of the time I feel like I get more out of a movie in particular that has this much background to it that they're trying to dumb down a little bit um, is if you jump into the story and then explain later. 
And so I feel like yeah. that's what you were getting at. And that's how I felt as well. It's like the beginning introduction out in space of just, you know, the planets and trying to explain everything to you. It, if you're a fan who's never even heard of Green Lantern before, you're getting a lot of information dumped on you in that moment and going, yeah, okay, why do I care? <laughs> right, right. Well, and I feel like, you know, as you're talking about, you know, some of this is able to be added a little bit later when the Guardians talk to Sinestro and they, they really delve into this whole idea of like parallax and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like you needed to find some ways to just basically um, not give the prologue for the lanterns at the beginning. You just yeah. needed to show, uh, you know, uh, him get attacked and have to land on Earth. And don't explain really of any of that until you get to those more expositional scenes. So you're just mm -hmm. getting to action. You're kind of seeing everything play out. And, and the movie will then, as Christy, we've talked about so many times, it's like you're just showing people things. Then, you're, then you'll tell them, about what they've seen yes. and help it make sense as you get to those places. So I think maybe maybe that would have helped a little bit. So then again, you can take those minutes and use them just for the story with Hal and his dad uh, at the beginning and really accentuate that part so you feel like that have that core of this story is about Hal. And, what, and part of that is because what's going to make Hal special? Because Hal Jordan is... He's the eaching, honestly, of 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 uh, the Green Lantern Corps. I mean, he's done things that no other Green Lantern has ever done. You know, I mean, he's the one who, you know, defeats Parallax in the comics. You know, and and all of that. It comes back from the dead and, and all this crazy stuff that no other Green Lantern's done. And so, um, you know, he really is going to be this special character. And so, spending time with him at the beginning, I think, would have been smart. Mm -hmm. So, um. Mm -hmm. It really fascinated me, though, the way that they kind of parallel the two characters of Hal and Hector. And they mm -hmm. do this with the editing, too, big time, of course, as they're making their rise and they're kind of discovering their powers. But for them, it really comes down to, like, to me in this, it came down to them living in the shadow of their fathers. And one, Hector has a father who never really tries to understand him. And Hal has a father who dies and nobody's there to pick up that mantle then and and continue on with what his father was doing and teaching him and i just thought it was really interesting to see the way that these two characters kind of go one becomes really insular and just tries to become really smart and so he can press people that way and and almost and so uh anti-social and you know hector is so anti-social that he's, he's trying not to care what anybody thinks of him and how he cares what everybody thinks of him. And part of that is like he's trying to show off all the time and be Mr. Macho Man. And neither of these really work for either of these men in making them truly happy in their lives whatsoever. Um, and so I really, to me, I was kind of responding to watching this again. And like, that's a really interesting theme to play with. Like what happens to, to men when they don't have, or, or boys when they don't have somebody there to help guide them along the path. And you can get these kind of divergent, um, basically you get these divergent delinquencies. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would, I would go, uh, I, I would take that and I, w I would say that the real interesting part between them is that you find out with Hector that Hal, at least he knew his, his parents loved him 
cared mm-hmm. for him, were trying to give him the best start that they could. Whereas Hector is just a, an afterthought for his dad, a tool. And, and then later he becomes a tool, you know, for power and for gain. Mm-hmm. So Hector has his great moment where he, he finally feels like, hey, they respect me. They want me involved in something like that. And he finds out that it's just his dad pulled a string. And he even, I mean, Hector even has a very uh, virtuous moment where he gets upset, where he says there are other people way more qualified that should have done this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like he said, and it suddenly deflates him again because he realizes he's not been given any sort of recognition for being good or special. It's just a connection. And that offends him right. in a principled way, as well as offending him in a personal way about his dad. And I think that that is a really, really interesting sort of thing because yeah, Hal is showing off and is sort of self-destructive, but it's almost as if his, his self-destruction at least is fueled by, I, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but, but there's almost like a, um, there is a rudderlessness to his life, but he's at least got some sort of a handle on what he wants as opposed to Hector, who's just floating out there. And then Hector finally gets that moment where it's like, yes, this is what I want. This is, Oh, this is hollow too. Like it's, it's, and it's a really bittersweet sort of thing. What What's, what's interesting with the color palette in this though, and the way that it's treated, what I was really reminded of was uh, the Ed Norton incredible Hulk movie. Mm. Yes. Thank you. I didn't think about that, but now that you say it, absolutely. And, and what's frustrating about it is I think both of these movies are, they're perfectly entertaining. They're fine. You know, they're, they're good. But like the Hulk movie, get, you know, Ed Norton's Hulk movie gets just beaten up all the time. And like, I've watched it a couple of times. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, I like right. it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, until have a good the very time. end battle, which is not great, everything else yeah. I really enjoy. Yeah. So I, I don't, and the thing is, I don't understand what it is because when we were, you know, when we're preparing for this and, you know, I rewatch it, like, it's one of those things where as I was looking at it, I was like, I don't understand why I understand why Superman four gets trashed. I understand why Batman and Robin gets curb stomped. I understand why nobody liked Highlander two, but I look at green lantern and I say, you know, like we're having this conversation here, you know, there's some good stuff going on. And these two characters are, are really good. And I, I think actually, uh, Carol is a really good character, and I think she gets overlooked because this movie gets gets stomped. But she's a really intriguing and engaging character. I liked her through the whole thing. And I think though, that's kind of where I see the issues with it is that I end up caring more about Carol than I do about Hal, and it's not Carol's story. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's those there. things like that that are big for me that ha- showed me issues I had with the movie as a whole um, that were just like character driven problems. Um, not to say mm-hmm. that it doesn't have its good parts. Um, but yeah, but I, I do think that this relationship between Hector and his father was one of the good things of the story as a whole. And I think that it really shows you how a slippery slope can happen where there's bad choices made on behalf of a parent that then 
drive the kid to continually make bad choices. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point, Christy. Um, and it's something that I thought was, yeah, it just, as you were saying, both of you, like there's just, there's some really good stuff that's happening here. And I also personally really responded to this idea of like, you know, we're talking about the power of fear throughout this entire movie and, you know, uh, the guardians even almost being afraid to say they're afraid, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that, and, and, uh, you know, my favorite, I I love it. My favorite saying on fear comes from John way. It's like courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway, you know? And it's like, I love how this movie acknowledges that fear is a part of our lives, not for us to deny, but for us to face. And when we Mm -hmm. face the fear that's inside, um, that's where true courage comes in. It's not saying that we're there is no fear. It's saying, yes, I am fearful, but I am then, and this is where, you know, the beautiful idea of the Green Lantern Corps, that willpower is this the strongest power in the world because it is the thing that overcomes fear. And I kind of like that this whole movie is about, you know, the Guardians kind of forgetting, you know, being eternal beings. They have almost forgotten this whole idea. And it takes a young human being, you know, from a very young planet to remind them of what willpower actually is, what courage actually means. And I love, Christy, you were mentioning, you know, the fact that Carol has a great role in this and you too, John. Like, I love that she's the one that reminds Hal that it's not about not being scared. Mm -hmm. It's about having the courage to overcome the fear, having the will to overcome. And to me... You know, that's the beauty of why people love the Green Lantern Corps as as characters. And it made it's a really nice theme. And I think it comes together very well with those two characters together. Yeah, I uh, I actually want to say, though, that Carol also has what I think is probably my favorite one of, if not my favorite moment in the movie is when he comes down in his costume to the balcony talking to her in this very, you know, it echoes Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman coming to Lois and talking to her and Come stuff with like me that. If you want to live, and she, yeah, and, but but she looks at him immediately and says, "How?" And he goes, "What? How did you?" You know, she's like, "I've known you my whole life. You think I wouldn't recognize you because I can't see your cheekbones?" Yeah. Yeah, like that. that was great. That was a magnificent moment, and like it, it's another one of those things where this movie has legitimately entertaining elements like that. But I think really Blake Lively needs to be given a lot of credit because the way she plays that scene and Chrissy, I think this gets back to what you were saying. Like she seems to have been given all of the best moments or to have a part in all of the best moments in the film. And I think that that is so weird that the secondary character gets to pull that off because I think it really illustrates how, how key that, that sort of character is while at the same time, how important it is to strike that balance to make sure that one does not overshadow the other, that they play, you know, properly with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you, you need to have that. And I'm, I'm glad that we all are on the same page of like how powerful Carol was as a character because she's driving these things to happen, you know, like, she yeah. she does have that moment, like you mentioned, Matt, of where she's the one to tell him there's a name for that. It's called courage. And that you, you know, continue on in spite of that. And that's what willpower and courage are. Um, 
And I like too that she shows how that people need to open up to their vulnerable side. Because, you know, especially in the scene where they're dancing and then he just literally drops her and runs away. You're going, oh, man, no. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you're you're seeing that she's actually saying, again, I got too close and you decided not to open up to me. And so I just mm-hmm. I wish that there had been a little bit more of that on Hal's side of like and aside, like you were saying, John, of an, an emotional realization moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I, I absolutely agree, you know, uh, because I think we talk about like the power feel, but I, the power of Blake Lively, you know, uh, in this film. And I, I she's a, she's an underrated actress in many ways. And I absolutely adored her in this film. I thought that she does such a great job of of having that strength you need in that female role. Um, but she's also able to play the vulnerability perfectly. But the way she's able to poke at Hal's vulnerabilities mm-hmm. is wonderful. And that's what you want from a relationship, right? I mean, Hal and Carol are, are, are a big deal in the comics. And part of that is is her ability to kind of get him to get to the emotional core of things and um it it's what makes for a good successful relationship too right like you, you got to be able to needle each other to to become better people not just be who you are but to become the best version of yourself and carol and blake lively i think in this film make all the scenes that she's in with ryan reynolds are some of the best scenes in the movie Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, that yeah. scene when you were talking about when they're dancing and stuff. And so I absolutely agree. I think she's just so good in this movie. And um, she's she's my one of my favorites, you know, and I love, you know, she gets the call out. You know, her call sign is Starfire uh, or Sapphire. And, um, you know, she, in the comics, she's become Star Sapphire um, and a superhero alongside Hal. And so I just love they give those little nods to places they could go in the future. But regardless, she is a fantastic lead alongside Ryan Reynolds. And the fact that she can hold her own against Ryan Reynolds, who can be so larger than life with his humor and his personality, I think was another thing that just surprised me again rewatching the film. And then made him fall in love with her in real life. Yeah, there you go. Hey, I, well, who 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 didn't fall in love with her after seeing this? I I became a huge fan of hers after this. So you mean it wasn't after Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? <laughs> I mean, you know, she was great in that, but this this was a different yeah. story. I, I missed that one somehow. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how. I you're missed not that the demographic, one. maybe. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you know. One of the things, though, I was rewatching this film. I remember, you know, we're all so used to Ryan Reynolds at this point. But I was really surprised at the way, to me, um, he was able to kind of curb some of his Ryan Reynolds-ness and be slightly more emotional. Like, I love the scene when he's talking to his nephew. And you can tell he's having a hard time because he realizes he did almost just die. And he's the kind of guy who has a hard time expressing his emotions in the first place. Um, you know, you could tell when he's having the argument with his brother. 
you know, um, about things. The 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 look of his of of kind of um sadness on his mother's face. She, you know, like he hasn't had it easy since his dad died, and he hasn't had anybody to show him that. And I thought I really appreciated. I thought Ryan Reynolds did a great job with the portrayal of the character, bringing him to life. Um, and all I would have wanted more of is like you guys have mentioned already. I think if you just had a couple more moments for him to have some vulnerabilities, it would have been perfect. Like, you know, this movie could have been like four star good. If you had just allowed him to have a few more, just a couple more of those moments to help the character really blossom. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, you know, to speak to the performance, the director is always in control of that. And I think that, there are there are Ryan Reynolds performances that are absolutely sublime. Uh, there's a great comedy, Just Friends, which yes. I think oh, is so one good, of the, so good with Amy Smart. One of the funniest movies I've seen ever. Um, <laughs> but sorry, I'm thinking about the movie now, and so I'm laughing. Anyway, uh, but then there are, there are movies where he's just sort of let loose, like X Men Origins Wolverine. Where by the end of it, you're just like, would somebody please kill this character? Would so, would he catch or on fire? Deadpool? Anything? Hey, now. Yes, I I was not as in love with the first Deadpool as other people were. I thought it was funny. I thought it was inventive. I thought it was clever. But it was it was very much obviously uh, sort of like the way that some directors approached Robin Williams, where it was like just. We're just going to turn the cameras on. And you just do something, okay? And it's like I, I, I like to see a little more structure given to because Reynolds has such tremendous timing and energy and uh, intellect that he put he puts into everything. But you gotta give focus to an actor and to hear him. What, what's interesting is to to go back to that note where he said, it's like we started shooting without a script. We started shooting with a poster and then worried about it later sort of thing. That may be true and he may be frustrated, but somehow it seems to have given, it seems to have, I, I guess maybe on set, they, they knew at least that they couldn't go too far in one direction. And it feels like they put guardrails on him. And so I think he is a little bit more, and this is a weird way to put it, but I think he's a little more human than he can be in these superhero movies sometimes. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I, although I love both the Deadpool movies, I definitely will agree that in, in both of those that they really let more of his personality as a person take over and become a lot more of the jokes. So I I definitely think that in this movie you needed a more serious version of Ryan. Um and I think that the director helped get that across and really embrace those emotional moments you have with Hal by not letting Ryan Reynolds go too far into the jokes. Well, I think I think that comes from Martin Campbell, like you guys are saying. I mean, he uh, Goldeneye and Casino Royale, two very different takes on Bond, right? But very controlled, very focused on who they want that main character to be and not letting them go too far one way or the other. And I think, you know, I, I've seen critiques of this movie that they think they feel like kind of like uh, it's all over the place with its tone. But I feel like the tone feels quite consistent to me throughout in the sense of, 
we're going for fun, enjoyable action that has some heart. And, you know, to me, it's kind of like it's very classic comic book sensibility of a movie, you know, like in the most classic sense. Yes, I think that this I think that one of the challenges with Green Lantern is that this is a movie made with comic book movie sensibilities from about 10 or so years before it. Comic book movies have gone through the, you know, these different metamorphoses through time. And it always goes through the same cycle where it gets serious and then it gets a little too serious and then it starts to get silly and, uh, you know, uh, uh, irreverent towards its own material. And then it reboots and then it goes through this whole process all over again. And it feels like this movie was from sort of the midpoint of the, of the, the, you know, the, the phase or whatever. But what's interesting, I think, is in terms of tone, I think it is a pretty consistent tone through the whole thing. And I I know that this statement may land me in hot water, but so long as Taika Waititi is in the movie, why not make the comparison? But it's sort of like, I don't understand how somebody could praise Thor Ragnarok, which I think does have a tone that just goes up and down and up and down like a, you know, an FM frequency, as opposed to this is, is a little bit more even. There's a little bit more you know, even distribution to everything. And I'm not knocking Thor Ragnarok. I know people love Thor Ragnarok, but this at least knows exactly what it's going to be as opposed to flipping from scene to scene. So I don't, I don't understand that specific criticism and I don't know if it's because now that the landscape has changed so much because this comes out in the wake of Iron Man and at the tail end of the Dark Knight. So those are the two poles of where comic book movies could go. And obviously going the way of the Marvel movie won out. But this feels very much in step with the early phase Marvel movies. So I don't understand why it would have been greeted the way that it was. Yeah, I think as far as the tone goes, I didn't have any issue with that. I don't feel like it was all over the place tone wise at all. It did feel like from the get go and throughout that it was, you know, faced as a serious version of a comic book movie, not dark, like Dark Knight or something, but toward that end, at least of like, there's a a huge gravity to the situation at hand. um, And that they're not making light of that. It's more, you know, the the jokes here and there where they make sense. So, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with the tone at all. I agree. And I, I think you guys are rightly calling out all the things here uh, when it comes to tone. And I think, uh, Christy, you just mentioned the humor. And I think that's another place where the, the humor here um, really works situationally. It doesn't feel like we're just trying to force in a joke. You know, the parts where we're letting Ryan Reynolds be Ryan Reynolds are because that's a part of the character, you know, like you know, he was first talking to Carol because he's late, you know, and he's like, well, let's get off these pants yeah. <laughs> and get me into a yeah. flight suit and get in the cockpit, you know, like that's him being that character, right? And and being that kind of like jackass of a character who, who just thinks he's so funny and witty and all that stuff. And of course, she can't resist. Nobody can resist, right? That's all part of that character who is hiding what's underneath that we'll see come out later on. Um, but the rest of the stuff, you know, it's like 
they do a great job of of inserting the humor, like uh, you know, in the fight scenes with um, him and Sinestro, and Sinestro's really going at him and like just berating him and tearing him down for basically being a human and just basically being a peon is what he considers him to be. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I I just think a lot of this to me just really worked. Um, and again, tonally, I, I don't get that comparison. Part of that, I think, you, Chris, you mentioned specifically, we're going to take our world seriously, but that doesn't mean we're also not going to have some fun in that. Mm-hmm. And I think Mark Strong as Sinestro really adds that serious tone to help. I mean, you get a character like that. He's just so good. Yeah. And he allows you to be able to to feel the gravity of the situation because he is the guy who is the head of the Green Lantern Corps next to the Guardians. He's the most respected, you know, uh, and next to Abin Sur, who, you know, is the one whose ring, you know, uh, Hal gets. And, um, and, and you could just see how he is a character who's so consumed with control, you know, um, how he's going to make that turn to become the evil Sinestro Mm -hmm. you know we all know if you're you know the comic books he's going there but like he's he's the military guy and like he's the law and order guy to the nth degree and I think he just plays it perfectly and I really liked his performance as Sinestro here and honestly it's a travesty to me that we didn't get to see him be evil evil Sinestro because I think he would have done gangbusters awesome with it so Oh, I think they did a great job of setting that up. And it, while while we sit there and we say, you know, Hal feels secondary to his own story, let's remember that one of the greatest comic book movies ever created, 1989's Batman, directed by Tim Burton. I mean, people made the joke at the time and still make the joke now. It should have just been called Joker because Jack Nicholson gets pretty much more screen time than actual Batman in that movie. <laughs> and everybody loved Joker and everybody loved the film. And it's like, it, it can work. Uh, it's just that I think that there are so many other elements. It's not just one element versus another. So there are so many other elements competing for everybody's attention. I think there, there would have even been a better way to streamline it. But again, you can't even fix this in the editing phase, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that would have to be fixed in the, the script phase of Instead of having him show up and have, um, you know, Jeffrey Rush's character uh, talk to him and then have uh, uh, Michael Clark Duncan's character train him and then have Sinestro show, you know, have have Sinestro show up. Well, okay, just have Mark Strong bookend Michael Clark Duncan, have him introduced to everything. Michael Clark Duncan beats him up a little bit. Sinestro beats him up more and says, you haven't been paying attention. Like you've you've truncated the focus that much. And, and and brought it in that much more closely. But I, I do want to say that from a process standpoint, because, of course, I, I always fixate on editing, <laughs> but this is edited by Stuart Baird, one of the greatest film editors in history. And Not he directors, is but editors. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I'm he's a great editor. Well, and and oddly enough, <laughs> the Star Trek film he directed had some questionable editing choices, which just made no sense to me. Uh, but. Like, I look at all of the material here, and I can't see anything that could be rearranged better. What I see is the 
best result of what was shot and put together. And I think that's a testament to the editing is that even the, like, I think in less capable hands, all of these disparate elements, you know, an hour into the movie, you're ready to walk out because it's like, what the F is even going on right Mm -hmm. now? Whereas with this, at least there's a flow and the story makes sense. And even as, you know, Hector and how are both discovering their powers, that interplay, that juxtaposition works perfectly. And you're in it. You're with it. You're like, okay, I'm digging this. This is this is what's happening and everything like that. So I, I you know, I just always make a point to I, I gotta tip the hat to Mr. Baird for the guy knows his knows his work when you know, when he's editing. Yeah, I think for sure the issue that I think we're all kind of pinpointing on here is that the story to begin with, with the writing is the issue that causes other things to not work as well as they should, that the actors and the editor did the best they could with what they were given, but that there were some fundamental things you can't just fix in editing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't fix everything in post. Right. Uh, (laughs) As George would say. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. George Lucas is about to bust through the door and be like, let me tell you a thing or two about a thing or two. I, Hey, let George Lucas take, uh, I'd, I'd love to see him take a crack at Green Lantern. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. I, I did want to chime in, though, and say that I uh, was really excited when I caught that Mark Strong was Sinestro, because I did know of Sinestro from the comics and, you know, that he was going to turn and everything later. And then recently, my husband and I rewatched Shazam, where Mark Strong is the villain. And so I was going, oh, yes, good choice. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a, a great actor. Yeah, he's he's a, a lot of fun, and it, it's it's so fun too because he can play such a good guy, you know. Because like in the Kingsman series, he's a good guy, and he's so much fun in that. Mm-hmm. But he can also play a great villain. So yeah, uh, those British actors, they're great stuff. Villains, you know, we have two villains, and sometimes in a movie that can seem like too much. I uh, did you guys think it worked to have Hector Hammond, uh, you know? as the a villain as well as parallax or should they have just kept one and left the other or you know, what do you think i think that they did okay with that um i ultimately felt like it wasn't too many because you feel like parallax is this literally larger than life thing that could take over like the universe like a thanos or something whereas i felt like hector was his pawn sort of like the henchman mm-hmm. rather than another equal level right, villain right. yeah uh yeah th- there's you can handle it one way or the other you can handle it as a uh, penguin and Catwoman in batman returns which is the bad mm-hmm. way uh or you can handle it as uh this which is one villain leads to the other it- it's a build and i think that um it, it also speaks to uh, the problem that they had, they they seem to have solved the problem, actually, that the first Blade had, because the original ending of Blade had Steven Dorff turn into the Blood God, and he was literally this CGI whirling mess of blood Ew. or whatever. And test, yeah, test audiences saw it and were like, what is happening? <laughs> and so that's why they went back and they reshot it, and it was Steven Dorff, you know, doing slow motion kung fu. And... With this, to have the build become, through the whole movie, you see what Parallax is. You see it build, 
And you see him uh, develop from trapped in the green as a humanoid body into this big thing that can go on and attack into this giant cloud that's devouring civilizations. It gives that abstract concept time to build while you have an on-screen villain that you can confront. And then once that villain is done, because he's been in contact with the main, like, I do think that that, for all the other structural things, I think that that is put together the right way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i agreeing with you guys. I just, I'm, I don't honestly can't add anything to that, shockingly enough. I know everybody's used to me just like being really verbose, but <laughs> uh, I think you guys said it perfectly. It works to me the way that they set it up. And John, I think the way you talked about the structure of one leads to the other. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have more than one quote-unquote villain in a movie, um, that's definitely the way to do it. You know, I, the other way not to do this is Spider-Man 3. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, Or The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That would be another way not to do it. Um, I'd have to go back and rewatch that, and I don't remember hating that. No, you don't. That, <laughs> don't go back and rewatch <laughs> anyway, that. Um, don't well, do it. That's, a, that's, a, that's another conversation for another time. Um, so, we... Use CGI suits in this movie. So so the Green Lantern suit is CGI. Uh, obviously, it's 2011, so it's not the same CGI we'd have today. Uh, then, even then, quite a difficult undertaking, I think, uh, to do this. How does that work for you guys? Does it work for you guys? I think that it doesn't look as great as it should. The suits, to me, look a little weird. Um... I don't know how else to explain it other than it, it just seemed like something was off. Did you guys feel like that? I think that they weren't ready yet for it. I think that today they're ready for it. Today they do it all the time. Just technology-wise, they know. were pushing too far. In Man of yeah. Steel, they're never wearing those big Kryptonian suits at the very beginning. Right. Those are all right. CGI. I You would never know. I, I, I think that... I'm I'm of the opinion that yes, I recognize that they're not perfect, but at the same time, it doesn't bother me the way that it does other people because uh, I've made reference to him before. My friend Joey hates stuff like this. Don't roll it out unless it's ready to look as good as you know what they can pull off today, sort of thing. But everything's a step, right? Like you have you have your steps when you go through and you have stuff like you know uh, attack of the clones and revenge of the sith and then ironically tamura morrison introduces us to another full body cg suit and this mm. like it, he he's like the guide of full body cg like I, I love him that's like his career path um but uh i you know i'm i'm fine with it like i i get it you know that they, they went for it might not have worked perfectly but eh, that's okay that's fine I'm with both of you in the sense that, like, obviously it doesn't quite work. Uh, I think part of that is that the green that they choose is a little too green. I think they like should have made the color just a little bit yeah. Yeah. to help. Yeah. I think it would have helped if it, and, you know, so that's just part of it. Um, But for the most part, to to have this basically, like, energy suit is really cool. And, in fact, that's where they went in the comics. You know, when they, when they did the rebirth, it was basically that the suit is a part of the ring in that sense. It creates the suit. Um, you know, it's it's basically an energy field almost. Like another construct. Uh, and Yeah, right. kind of. But, it, you know, it, it's, it's a part of the package deal with the ring, and you put it on and you get the suit. Uh, so I think it was a, it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and honestly, I think, again, you just mute that color slightly, I think, and it helps with the realism factor just a little bit. I think also uh, the decision to have his uh, face mask Mm -hmm. be CG was a mistake. Like, have it come in through CG, but I think having it then go to a real piece, you would have been less apt to look mm, at the CG. It's a good point. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. would, you, like, you would have been looking at his face and contextualize the rest of it with your periphery as opposed to, oh, that looks fake. And I know his eyes aren't that, oh, and that, okay, that looks fake too. You know, like, it's, I think it would have helped. Uh, if they did it that way. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think practical effects there would have been better. Yeah. I'll say, on, um, I think probably the reason they didn't, John, comes from, uh, the answer comes from Nick uh, Anastasio uh, when he talked about the reason that most of the time Cap carries around his his shield in the movies, it's mm-hmm. actually CGI, is because it's easier for them to track what it's supposed to look like. Um, so if you make the piece it's harder for them to track. Does it look right every single time? But then you run into the problem, but it doesn't look right at all any of the right. time. <laughs> so, you know, it's like I, I would pay for that unrealistic, like, you know. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, you could have a, a medium shot when it comes in, and then when you switch the cl- yep. from that point yep. forward from the first close-up, it's a real prosthetic piece put over yep. top. Okay, I got to ask you guys, um, because I think this might be the most disappointing part of this movie for me, is the score. James Newton Howard, who had worked with Zimmer on, you know, Batman Begins, creates this great, cool theme for Batman. I would expect this to be something akin to, like, a cross between Superman and, you know, Top Gun having a baby, score-wise, you know, and... It's, I would say, one of the lamest superhero scores. There's no theme. Mm-hmm. It's just boring. Um, I was utterly disappointed because, yeah, Green Lantern, you have the opportunity to write a Green Lantern theme and you don't give us one worth anything. And I was just, I, I'm, I, yeah, couldn't be more frustrated. Uh, you know, I think that the, I agree with you. I think that the, the score is not phenomenal, but, I think that the it's adequate, which I guess is damning with faint praise sort of thing. <laughs> it's but adequate. It, it, yeah. You know, I it's... That's the I title. It's adequate. <laughs> yeah, basically. Adequate lantern. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, the, the theme's not great, but the rest of the incidental music is, is apt and works. So yeah, it's kind of a trade-off. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in between both of you as well with that, that it's it's okay. Um, but I think that for sure it stands out, like Matt said, that there's not a specific theme for Hal in this movie. And that would have also helped with you feeling more connected to him as a character. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like when he takes off for the first time intentionally to go back to Oa or something like that. It's like a, you know, heroic moment. Give us some heroic buildup, yeah. something. And uh, you just don't really get that. And then, you know, as well in the romance scenes, I think that there could have been more climactic yeah. music there to create that emotion. And it, it felt like it just kind of fell flat. It's almost an interesting thought experiment because if it had had a better score, would it have been better received? Because music can cheat that emotional mm. beat so 
well. Very good point. I mean, John Williams mm. probably could have killed it, but they didn't ask him to do it. So <laughs> well, They'd already spent so much money on the CG, they couldn't afford it. <laughs> That's him. true. That's true. Uh, well, you know, there's so much. I mean, honestly, I think there's other things we could talk about in the film, but I do think it's a great time to, to discuss then what we'd rate this, because I think we've all been able to talk about good things and, and some not so good things in the film. Um, I think we've been much more fair to this film than any other reviewer was when it came out. Uh, so, John, if you were going to rate Green Lantern, the extended edition, what would you rate this? Uh, the same I rated the theatrical, which is a solid three. And I mean a solid three. This is a cheeseburger. This is a bowl of soup and heavily buttered bread on a rainy day sort of movie where I'll sit down. I know I'm going to watch this again in my life. I'm never going to regard it as great cinema. But if I want something where I can just have something to just sort of like unplug and chill out for a little bit. This is the movie I'm going to go with. I could almost be talked into an extra half star just because it really is one of those things where the more you watch it, the more endearing it becomes because there is such a playful aspect to it. And I think that uh, Taika Waititi does a great job in his role and is a, a very fun sidekick character. So, you know, I could be talked higher, but... I'm going to stick with just a very solid three popcorn movie, lazy Sunday, chilling out in my pajamas on a chilly day out. This is the type of movie I'm going to go with. Okay. I, and I like that you gave your reasons too, because I was trying to evaluate really where I end up with this and I'm just a little bit lower. Um, I'm going to give it a, a two mm-hmm. and a half out of five because to use your word it's adequate (laughs) uh you know so i get a 50 percent, but it ultimately for me is not that kind of movie that i'm going to keep going back to just because i wanted more human connection i feel like that was the biggest thing to me that didn't work and it felt like the plot was dictating what the characters were going to do because, well, we need to get to this point rather than telling a really good human interest character story. And so it it just kind of felt um, lacking depth to me overall. Um, But there were some funny moments and I love Ryan Reynolds and I think overall they made really good casting choices. I just think it was, like I said, that depth and that um, level with the writing that they, they needed more time on. You know, it's so funny because, and I don't know if it's just a a product of this movie being absolutely trashed for so long that you go back to and you're like, wait, this is not that bad. What are you talking about? But Mm -hmm. I also think I, just rewatching it, I came to appreciate a, a lot of themes we talked about. I came to really appreciate the characterizations a lot more than I thought I would. Um, you know, I think Reynolds uh, and Lively are so good together and great chemistry. Mark Strong was fantastic. The storyline is is pretty fun. They are trying to cram a lot in here, but you know, I to me, I'm gonna I'm gonna go three and a half stars out of five because I just I I'm like you, John, where it's like. No, this is in the this is in the superhero rotation now. If I'm thinking of a superhero movie I might want to watch, this is actually my thought process. 
you know, of like, Mm -hmm. I might sit down and watch Green Lantern, you know, and I think it's so interesting, too, because some of the criticisms that you guys had about not being character driven enough, I mean, they take those criticisms very seriously, and then they give you Man of Steel, where it's, they're really trying to drive completely with the character of Clark, you know, like, that whole movie is, is that, you know, and then people didn't like that, and so it's just like, you end up with this whole thing, and it's like, you, you just... I think that there's one thing that you see with these comic book movies and the reasons why most of them are very successful uh, are the ones that are very successful is that you have a person who kind of understands that character and has a passion for it, right? And, you know, um, you know, we kind of see that with, uh, you know, with The Mandalorian. You, 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 you hear like John Favreau and Dave Filoni talking about the, those things. They have such a passion for it. There's such an understanding for it. They have so much fun working on it. I think, you know, the most successful superhero movies are the ones where you really have somebody behind the scenes. Usually it's the director who's so passionate about the character, really gets the character, and and then and, and vibes the entire movie with that. And mm-hmm. I think Martin Campbell does a great job of doing all he can with this film, but it does feel like you don't have somebody who has the ultimate Green Lantern passion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to bring that character, that character of Hal, truly to life in the way you'd want. And so, yeah, I mean, all in all, this movie does not deserve the reputation of like 32% or whatever it has in Rotten Tomatoes. It's, I it's agree. just in, insane. So... Um, even with our ratings here, you know, I think it would level out at a three. So, and, and I, I, I mean, I'll say in terms of comic book movies, I'll watch this. I could rattle off comic book movies I'd watch before. I, I mean, that I would watch this before I would watch them again. Iron Man two, uh, <laughs> Thor two, <laughs> yeah. uh, Blade Trinity. Like, I, I can just go down the list where it's like those are movies where I have sincere problems with them. This is just, it's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good time. It's fine. Um, yeah. Well, before we get out of here, it's time for some recommendations. And so, John, this week, what do you want to recommend everyone? Oh, my goodness. I, You know, the thing is, I, I'm going to go here and I'm going to say that w- one of my coping mechanisms during stressful times has become Disney's Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. I am a hardcore devoted fan of that ride. And uh, I went so far as to purchase... Because you can't get certain key tracks on Spotify, the uh, there's an album uh, of the music from the Haunted Mansion, the first track of which is essentially the soundtrack to the entire ride. Like, you, if you've been on the ride, you can listen to it, and you are at each point in the ride, and it goes through, and it's tremendous fun. So I will recommend that, because we're not that far from uh, fall and the Halloween season, so... You know, let someone be your ghost host and uh, take you through the creepy crawly sensations. <laughs> I don't want to think that we're that close to Halloween yet. Closer than you think. It's March 152nd. Halloween will be here any day. <laughs> so uh, something that uh, I wanted to, to recommend and, and um, it's, uh, you know, we, we've been moving. Um, but uh, I have, uh, John knows this uh, and he kind of, guilted me into finally doing this uh watching the fast and the furious series <laughs> and um i i have to say um i just watched six and seven in the series 
And um, this series, I would say, uh, gets good by five, and it's continued to be good since then. Uh, four is not great. Um, three, though, is good. So Thank if you, you watch three and skip to five and to six and to seven, it's good stuff. I'm I'm actually enjoying it. It's it's one of the few series where the dumber the movies get, the better they are in the sense of like what the actual plot of the movies, it just gets so outrageous, but that's what actually makes them more fun. Uh, and so, yeah, the dumber, the better. And so I'm going to say, you know, go check out some Fast and Furious movies. If, if you want, three is, is good. And then skip four, watch five and six and uh, seven. I, I have yet to watch uh, The Fate of the Furious yet, um, but I'm excited to, to do that. And then... Um, like the rest of the world, I'm waiting for Furious 9, or whatever it's called, uh, to come out next it's year. supposed to be out this year. It's supposed to be out this Even year. Even more Furious. So, yeah, Is that what they're going to gonna call it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and it's and just, I've I, seen Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw, which is also really enjoyable. So, I still... Uh, you know what? I, if I can share a funny story, uh, when we were on the, the cruise um, back around Christmas time... Uh, they they showed a movie on the you know the pool deck and everything like that and I snuck out with the middle child at one point and Hobbs and Shaw was what was being shown and I was like hey, nice. you want to sit down maybe just sit there and watch we didn't watch the whole thing but it it got to the ending where like all of this stuff is happening and God bless her she looks at me she goes that's not scientifically possible is it I said no honey just go along with it it's fine it's yes. fine it's not but that's where again it's the dumber the better and that's what's fun yeah, about it so yeah. Um, and I actually do have a cool thing to recommend. I'm excited about um, something that's really helped me during everything with the pandemic right now and like kind of keeping that laughter alive is I discovered a YouTube show. I don't know if you've heard of Good Mythical Morning, but uh, it's these two guys that happen to be best friends that are from the Carolinas originally. So the Southerners like me and uh they do a show where um, they basically just try to like do weird things with food. They, they uh, have a whole series they do called Will It Blank. And so they'll take different foods, for example, and try to say, Will It Taco? Interesting. Yeah. Or like, interesting. Um, they just did one this week that was like, what's the best of six different top selling hard ciders? And so it was hilarious because, you know, the Ooh. more hard cider you drink, the more <laughs> loopy you get. Um, Fair. But, yes. you know, they just the best part of it is that it's two guys that are best friends hanging out together. So it feels very genuine. Very cool. And then uh, Link is kind of the more clumsy one. And he says things all the time that are definitely innuendo and honestly doesn't realize he's doing it until it's too late. <laughs> so if his name is Link, is he, is his, please tell me his girlfriend or his wife is named Zelda? No, but the weird thing is his wife's name oh. is Christy. Oh, dear. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe they came from a parallel universe. Maybe it's the alternate me. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, so I highly recommend Good Mythical Morning with Rhett and Link. That nice. sounds like a lot That's of really fun. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, John, before you get out of here, where can people find you on the old interwebs? If they really want to, they can find me as Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice. Letterboxd is the most fun. Uh, I'm 
writing again on kesseljunkie.com because without a commute, why not? Uh, more time, I guess. And you can um, find me over on the Nerd Party, uh, Summer 2020, co-hosting with Brandon Shea Mutala and Tristan Riddell, a series called House of Fincher, where we are going through the works of David Fincher as we count down to his new Netflix movie, Mank. And I am co-hosting a little old Star Wars podcast over there called Aggressive Negotiations with uh, Matthew Rushing. Which is an excellent show. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's very nice of you no, to you're say. Welcome. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for now at Bespin Bell. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I do a couple of other shows in addition to 602 Club. I do a show with uh, my friend Teresa called Sabres and Spells. And we cover anything geeky we feel like from Harry Potter to Star Wars to Stranger Things. And uh, I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrex Network with five other women from around the world talking about Star Wars. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, under the name Mattersham02. I am here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones. When we get a chance, we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm actually about to dive back into literary tracks as well, so you'll hear that soon. Um, you can also find me uh, on the aforementioned nerd party network not just doing aggressive negotiations with john mills but i'm also doing owl post with Drea kaufman as we're talking about every chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time and we're actually in the deathly hallows these days so it's so much fun as we're making our way to the end but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear Mm-hmm. <laughs>